0: Psalm 57, let us offer to God our hearing as an act of worship, for these are his words. To the chief musician set to do not destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge, until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God Most High, to God, who performs all things for me. He shall send send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue, the sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. So for the reading of God's Inspired and inherent word. So, Psalm fifty-seven teaches and helps us to connect the eternal truth about God and the ultimate truth about creation to our present circumstances. He's dealing with his present circumstances. Uh, up um up through uh, verse six or so, and he's crying out to God in the midst of it uh, there are a couple key ideas in his uh, present circumstances. One is that what God is doing is actually more significant than what his enemies are doing. What his enemies are doing feels nearer. Because we perceive those things uh, by sight, and that's the circumstance that we're in the middle of. Now, God is everywhere all the time, and God is ruling and overruling things by his providence. But because our uh, perception of God and thinking about him uh, tends to be, uh, not just tends to be, is inconsistent and unfaithful, we are not like God, right? We are not steadfast like we ought to be. Uh, the things that we perceive in our circumstances and experience seem to us to carry more weight than God Himself. But of course, God is infinitely waiting. Uh, so, uh, so He's in His circumstances and He's crying out to God. And as He start cries out to God, "Be merciful to me, O God! Be merciful to me." He's uh, in the cave. Uh, perhaps Saul is in there already. Perhaps not. Uh, the uh uh verse six is either prophetic if it happens before Saul gets to the cave they have dug a pit before me into the midst of it they themselves have fallen uh you can hear the metaphor right David's hiding in the cave and Saul comes in and um basically uh, uh disables himself for battle <laughs> and uh you remember when we were going through that section for Samuel how uh, David's friend says, Ah, the Lord has delivered him into your hands. Yeah, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and kill Saul in it. Um so it verse six is either responding to the that providence having happened, uh, or it's uh prophetic. Uh but David is is crying out to God, and as he cries out to God, that's one of the things that prayer helps us do. Is it turns us from anxiety to praise. Because when you start praying, you, you, you start praying perhaps because of a situation, because of a circumstance. That certainly seems to be the case with David here, right? He's in a circumstance that causes him to pray. Uh, and you may find yourself, or probably often find yourself, uh, in circumstances uh, to which a really wise and right and good response and really the reflex of a heart that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and believes uh, in the triune God through the Lord Jesus Christ, right response to the situation is to pray. But as David prays, his attention gets turned from the situation and from the enemies to what or, or to whom? To, to God, that's right. And as he turns his attention towards God, he realizes God hasn't changed. God cannot change. He's still Full of what's translated here, mercy and truth, it's Chesed and Emmet, which uh, in God's providence to y'all, you get to be in a family where there are two kids named those things. His steadfast love, his covenanted love, his unthwartable, committed from within himself, from all eternity, love, Chesed, and his Emmet. His truth, his, his faithfulness, his unchangeableness, his perfect reliability, his keeping of all of his promises, his consistency of his character, his Emmet. And uh, so he's thinking about what his enemies are doing. Uh, and he says, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. He shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now, the details of the actions of God, what is God going to do here? We may not know the details of the actions. But the principles and the character of God, according to which he acts, we always know. He always acts according to that steadfast love. He always acts according to that faithfulness. And so when he says, uh, when he's thinking about my enemies are doing this, what will God do? Well, he's going to send forth... Mercy and truth. He's going to send forth Gasset and Emmet. He's going to send forth steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, this is important because his situation and his enemies in particular are pretty fierce. Uh, When we learn stuff like this from the Bible, it's not like uh, what some people think and, and uh, wicked people teach about the Christian life, that it's going to be easy and trouble-free, and if we just believed well enough, you know, if your faith was big enough, or if you just behaved well enough. You know, there seem to be two different groups. One group says, oh, you you really need to to claim it before God. Believe well enough. And then there's another group that says, uh, the, that says you know, if you were just wise and learned the you know, 783 laws that the theonomists think, uh, you know, sorry, not theonomist, Pharisees, same difference, uh, the, that we, if we just implement everything so precisely, things will go well for us and we will reconstruct the utopian nation and world. And that's, that's not much different than the if you believe well enough people. That's the if you behave well enough people. But both say that uh, that their method, the believe well enough or the behave well enough, will get us to a place where we will stop having problems. Well, did Jesus believe well enough and behave well enough? How about the Apostle Paul in his converted life? How about David uh, at this time, You know, before the whole deal with Uriah? Well, this is what it looks like for people who believe and behave well, They have calamities, verse 1. They have enemies, verse 4, who are like lions, sons sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. This is a nightmare, right? This is a man Built like a lion, okay, so super powerful, uh, and perhaps with the the, uh, aggressiveness and arrogance and confidence uh, that you would associate uh, with a lion, top of the food chain guy. Uh, And now he's a flaming lion on fire, and his teeth are spears and arrows. So they're not just sharp, but they launch out of him, and his tongue is a sharp sword. So after he's launched his teeth into you uh, uh, and hit you with the arrows and spears, his sword tongue finishes the job and cuts you to pieces. That's what the circumstance is like to David. If I had a dream like that, and had that particular one, Probably shouldn't have been permitted to watch the old 19... reruns of the old 1970s Incredible Hulk uh, when I was a little boy because I had horrible Incredible Hulk dreams. But David was living this nightmare. And yet, when he turns his attention to God, he gets the shadow of God's wings. It's kind of like when you play with... um, Your younger sibling, everyone but Sophia understands this. Uh, uh, She doesn't have a younger sibling, and uh, the younger sibling goes force field, or whatever. Uh, When you guys were actually like playing and stuff, you all you guys used to say daddy shield, right? Because. You were not allowed to make a ruckus around me or attack around me. So if a child was really in danger, they'd just come be within the vicinity of daddy, and there would be the invisible wings that covered, (laughs) and no trouble could enter there. Well, I am finite and small and inconsistent and unfaithful, but our Heavenly Father is none of those things. He has none of my weakness, none of my wickedness. And you have a a daddy shield. Now the calamity may be there and these burning man's spear sword lion guys may be there. But what are they next to the steadfast love and faithfulness of God? So when we pray, it turns our attention away from the circumstances which may genuinely be very calamitous. But God is infinitely more good. And that's why prayer awakens praise. He says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. He's not unaffected by his circumstances. His soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. And I really think this is prophetic. I don't think Saul's in the cave yet uh, at the time. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen he realizes there's nothing the enemy can do that will end ultimately in David's harm. There may be pain and uh, temporal, significant, but not ultimate trouble, harm, pain along the way. But the way it ends is with God's justice vindicated, the one whom God has protected, avenged, and the one who has attacked him condemned, punished. And so he says prophetically, into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. And that's the point at which the prayer turns to praise. So you have the God shall send forth his mercy and truth. Verse three, and be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above Uh, all the earth. I know in the moment that the purpose of this is for the the glory of God. And you'll hear the echoes of those two things and the conclusion in verse 10 and 11. For your mercy, your chesed, reaches unto the heavens, and your truth, your emmet, unto the clouds, your steadfast love and your faithfulness to the heavens and to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. But what happens in the meantime? God delivers his people out of all their troubles, God redeems for himself an innumerable multitude of people from all the nations, and these redeemed people from all the nations praise him. That's how the whole thing ends. That's what the whole thing is going towards. And in the moment that the circumstance that provoked you to prayer, in the moment that that circumstance turns your attention from what's going on, or your enemies, to God himself. Prayer translates to praise. It wakes you up so that you realize, uh, almost like when you wake up from a nightmare and you realize, oh, it's just a dream. This is real. It's not just a dream. But it is light and momentary. Uh, And uh, if we are not uh, remembering and resting in the character of God, and if we are not remembering and rejoicing over how all this ends, then we're not functioning well in the midst of this temporary thing. And so we need to be awakened to praise. And that's what happens in verse 7 through 9. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. You know, his soul was bowed down a verse ago. My heart is steadfast now. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory, All of the substance, all of the weightiness of who I am. Wake up and remember what you were made for to give praise to God. Awake, lute and harp. Uh, The creation, uh, God's creation, even of music. And uh, here there's uh, perhaps some prophecy uh, of David who. Uh, has learned to use the lute and harp uh, and will eventually be the one through whom God gives temple worship and there will be uh there will be divisions of the priesthood that are assigned to lead corporate praise right so there there's a a dynamic there, but uh just this is what song exists for he's built into his creation, the reality of music. For his praise. Awake, my glory, awake, lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. The implication is uh, he is writing this in the middle of the night, as is often the case when you have nightmares or when you're stressing over things. Both of those things often tend to happen at night. And he says, I can't wait for dawn to come so I can lead my men in a worship service in the cave um and uh the the recourse of prayer the ability to turn to god in prayer awakens us uh to our purpose i will praise you O lord he says now not just in the cave not just with the the rabble who will one day be his mighty men but are somewhere in between when they started to gather to David, and they were you know the lowest of the low and the outlaws and the outcasts, and he's accumulating um you know the this uh this group of men, many of whom end up being the mighty men they get recounted and the great list of heroes at the end, like a great you know epic novel or 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 film, but it's reality. Uh, He's going to, he's not, not only is he going to praise, not only is he going to lead his men in praise, but now he's especially looking forward um, to leading uh, or participating with the nations in praise. Uh, And remember, David is unto us uh, a type of Christ, uh, a foreshadowing picture of the Lord Jesus. You remember who part of the joy that is set before him uh, and for which he endures the cross is because He is accomplishing a redemption that will most certainly be applied to a multitude, an innumerable multitude from all the nations. And the Lord Jesus himself leads us already, which we perceive by faith, but we will one day see by sight our Lord Jesus leading the innumerable multitudes in praise. And so he is able to access by faith and by hope to enjoy already by the fore, uh, the foresight by remembering what is going to happen, uh, part uh, of that glorious end to which the redeemed are coming. He says, "I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nation, uh, m- among the nations." Uh, and then the the two things that he's pulled out from earlier: for your cessed reaches into the heavens, and your emmet to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. This is available to you. Uh, One of the purposes of trouble and opposition and people who are nightmarish in their treatment of you in life is to turn your heart and your mind to the Lord in prayer so that by your attention being redirected to him, you'll remember what he's like what he has done, what he will have done uh, when it all comes to its conclusion and so that you can uh, praise now uh, in anticipation of that perfected uh, praise that we will offer forever. So calamities and opposition provoke to prayer in order to turn our hearts to praise. Praise God, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for telling us the truth about our circumstances and not lying to us like the believe well enough or behave well enough people. And thank you, Lord, that you are the most significant factor uh, at every point in our lives. Uh, We thank you for accommodating our weakness, our forgetfulness, our inconsistency, By giving us these troubles that turn our attention to you in prayer, so that we may be awakened to praise. Help us, O Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would develop uh, in our hearts and our minds uh, this way of responding uh, to difficulty. Lord, I pray that you would do it early for my children, uh, so that they would build these healthy habits of mind and heart, uh, and may walk with you uh, by um, uh, by this uh, this sort of faith uh, throughout the troubles of this life. glorify yourself, O God, uh, not only now, but oh, how we long for the day when we come and praise with the innumerable multitude. be exalted above the heavens. O God, and let your glory be exalted above all the earth, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.